Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. We're diving deeper into another story, more words from Jesus that we overlook in the church today. I was really surprised to see that this passage that we're going to talk about never comes up in the lectionary, and I hope all the imagery and metaphor don't make you too hungry while you listen. If you're looking for something else to chew on, see what I did there? Check out Good Faith Media's new narrative podcast, A Second Language. It's a look at Second Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, a mostly white Baptist church in the South, and what its experience can teach us about life and death, hypocrisy and honesty, faith and fear, the risk and reward of talking about hard things. The trailer is out now, and the full show will be available tomorrow, August 23rd. Thank you for listening to God Knows Where, for loving the show in all the ways that you do, and talking it up to all the folks that you've shared this show with. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I hope you're enjoying this new series, and I'd love you for you to let me know what you think over on social media. Find me there, send me a message, or find me in real life and let me know what you think. For now, though, I hope you enjoy today's episode, Yeast of Burden. reading from Matthew 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test Jesus they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They said to one another, It is because we have brought no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said, You of little faith, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand? And how many baskets you gathered? How could you fail to perceive that I was not speaking about bread? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's be clear about one thing. Baking and cooking are two different beasts. You can have a little flair if you want when you're cooking, The internet sensation turned embarrassed World Cup fanboy, Salt Bay. He can dramatically dribble salt down his forearm on to whatever piece of meat he's preparing and grab your attention. But if he tried that in the famed tent of Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith, Paul would most certainly hit him with those steely blue eyes and remind him to pay attention to the substance of his bakes, not just his style. Baking is hard. Ask anyone who's tried it. I bet the vast majority of folks who picked up bread baking during the pandemic quit not long after their grocery store restocked the shelves. And part of what makes baking so hard is working with yeast. Yeast is wily, it's delicate, it's given to fits and spurts, it's got the attitude of a toddler. Temperature, altitude, so many factors can impact what does or does not happen inside a dough with yeast. And yeast demands a lot of time. Our own tradition reminds us of that. We can't forget that in fleeing from Pharaoh's forces, the Israelites had no time to wait for their bread to rise, so they took it, and when they baked it, it was flatter and crispier than they had hoped, 
or would have expected. That bread eaten during the Passover meal of remembrance looks and tastes and feels nothing like the Hawaiian rolls we often dip in our grape juice or eat with our wine during communion or the sourdoughs that we create in our homes. But when we're able to work with yeast, we're able to create beautiful, airy, delicious treats. In many ways, the time and attention it requires to work with yeast makes it feel totally worth it. I mean, Elizabeth and I stopped at our favorite bakery in New Orleans, Dong Fuang, not long ago, and we picked up some cinnamon rolls that a baker there had no doubt labored over for hours or the better part of a day, and it took every ounce of discipline we had not to eat them all on the car ride home. I mean, despite all the trouble, yeast just makes bread better, more appealing, more delicious. But not to mix metaphors, Jesus has a beef with yeast. In this story, in Matthew 16, and it shows up only in Matthew, and it's one that we skip over all the time, he tells his disciples to be wary of the yeast of the Pharisees. He tells them this after a group of Pharisees stop him and ask him for a sign, saying, if he's really the Messiah, couldn't he just take a minute to perform a sign so they would know, so that they could be confident that he was who they thought he might be? The question that they ask has an eerie similarity to Jesus' conversation with the devil who tempted him in the desert, and I'd say this isn't a good look for the Pharisees. Jesus sends them on their way, and it's here that he cautions his disciples against the Pharisees' yeast. They want him to take a little time, to throw in a little something extra, to make what he's already doing a little bit better, a little bit more appealing for them. This tiny little request could go a long way to help Jesus' ministry go further reach more people, get bigger and broader more quickly. It could turn crisp crackers into cinnamon rolls, and wouldn't we all like that more? And furthermore, in the absence of an army breathing down our necks, leading us to flee our homes for safety, like our Israelite ancestors, what's the problem with a little yeast? Well, to Jesus, the problem is that this is all a distraction. The attention it requires him to pay to this little side quest is distracting him and his disciples from their mission. He didn't come to perform signs and wonders for religious leaders. He came to do what happens right before and right after this story. Feed people who are hungry, like the thousands he just left on the shore, and to free people from the pain and the fears that hold them back, as he tells his disciples in the wake of this interruption. He came to continue doing the good work of feeding and healing and freeing people into the truth of God's expansive love. The Pharisees' question to Jesus is verbal yeast. It's demanding attention best directed somewhere else. It stops Jesus in his tracks. He can go nowhere else until it's been addressed. And if he agrees to add this sign into what he's already doing, he'll be tied down for a while and he's got no guarantee that it will work that the sign he could perform will do all the Pharisees claim it will do for them. He could spend all this time with their yeast, only to need to do it again and again until they're satisfied. All the while, hungry and hurting people all around him are still looking for help. I think Jesus is right. We've got to be aware of what within the religion that we've built up around the tradition that we inherited from the Israelites who left their yeast in Egypt we got to be aware of what distracts us from continuing to follow where God is leading. We've got to pay attention to the requests that come our way that have nothing to do with sharing good news, but that attract our gaze 
like the light at a Krispy Kreme telling us fresh donuts just came off the line. The yeast of the Pharisees, as Jesus sees it, as he tells us about it, the yeast of the Pharisees is the first ingredient in mission creep, that ability any organization or group has to have a clear focus and to slowly let other things along the way distract them until they're focused on something entirely different in just a short amount of time. Not surprisingly, I love the way Will Campbell talks about the distractions we allow to take the church away from the good news. He does it in his book, 40 Acres and a Goat. Riding around in his car and recounting his ministry to his fictionalized passenger, T.J. Eves, Campbell asked T.J. to grab some of the papers out of the back seat and start reading them. Their bulletin inserts and flyers from a number of churches Campbell had visited, highlighting ski trips for Jesus and sports leagues for Christ and many other programs that Campbell sees as distractions from the real work of the church. Eves pushes back and says these programs are harmless and the infrastructures built to support them undoubtedly bring more people into the church. And isn't that a good thing? And Campbell can only respond with a question. What does any of it have to do with the gospel? It's a good question. It's a snarky question, but it's a good question. And in his own snarky way, Campbell claims so much of what we end up doing in or as the church has nothing to do with the good news, the gospel, or the Great Commission, and everything to do with diverting our energy to build up the structures and systems of the church, the desires we have to see and to know, instead of to trust and to follow. It has to do with the fact that we've taken Jesus' mission and with every little distraction we entertain, like this one from the Pharisees, we slowly creep away. And they've led us to focus our time and energy on building an organization that looks nothing like the nimble group of followers Jesus gained during his time on earth. It allowed us to build a church that is beautiful and photogenic and aromatic like a loaf of sourdough bread when Jesus and his followers were more like like their forebears, more of a matzah, slim, portable, sometimes a little crispier or rougher around the edges than we might like. I think Jesus knew not only what these distractions, these yeasts, would do to the structure of the tradition forming around him, I think he knew what they could do on the inside of it as well. See, the presence of yeast in a dough is one of the contributing factors to the pockets of air, the holes that form beneath the crust that make sourdough so photogenic. Yeast allows a beautiful structure to be built around a more or less hollow core. Jesus knew that the introduction of yeast into his mission could hollow it out. It could make it all about what others saw and not what it was accomplishing in people's lives or whom it was able to nourish. So, in following Jesus down the roads that he takes, because of all this, we have to ask ourselves, are the questions or requests that we're responding to, the things that we're receiving from or or making to the church, are they leading us to follow Jesus on his mission to repair and reshape and reconcile the world? Are the efforts we're adding on to the tradition we've inherited that have allowed us to build what we know as the church, the buildings, the programs, the denominations, the maintenance, and the attention that all of it requires. Are these things pointing us toward where God is leading us? Or are they keeping us from being able to chase after God 
because we've got to stay where we are and keep our eye on our dough, like our favorite British bakers sitting in front of their proving drawers and ovens, hoping that they'll come out with something that Paul and Prue will enjoy. We've got to ask ourselves, is what we want performance by or pursuit of Jesus? At this point, you're probably either starving by now or you're sick of this whole yeast metaphor. And I get it. So I'll leave you with this. Maybe even more than the orbit, these yeasty questions like the one the Pharisees ask and suck us into, this story reminds us that God is and always has been and always will be on the move. God has perpetually called us to come along for the ride. Whether it's leaving Egypt behind or traveling with the Israelites in the wilderness or going with the people even as they were driven into exile or leaving boats and nets behind to follow Jesus. God has always been moving. And God wants us to keep moving too, going where we're needed, being ready when we're called. Jesus is never not moving in the Gospels. And he's put out when he has to stop his mission to worry about some yeast. He has no time to waste. We have no time to waste in joining him. We've got to leave the yeast out so we can keep following wherever God is leading. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.